RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to another edition of the MA Report Podcast with Dale Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. It is Wednesday, February the 15th. 2023. We're here to talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Of course, we're going to talk about UFC 284, Bellator heading back to Hawaii, UFC Vegas 69 this week. But Daniel, I got to talk about where it's a little bit of a news story that came out uh, earlier this week. Uh, kudos to our guy, Nolan Kings of MMAJunkie.com. We've got a hold of the ticket prices for UFC 287. He put them on Twitter. And the tickets range from the floor seats and center riser seats, $1,250 all the way to your cheap ticket of $150. And as I saw this tweet, the first thing I did, Daniel, was I was like, let me go look at the Miami Dade Arena seating chart. Just kind of see how these seats are. And then I just like, I started and I'm like, look, this is not me trying to be a negative Nancy. This is me just trying to sit here and just think of it as a consumer. Like if you're a paycheck to paycheck type person who loves the UFC, loves mixed martial arts, I feel like a lot of the, that fan base has been priced out of going to a UFC event. Yeah. It's really, really, really expensive. It's a big chunk of your paycheck and that's just to get in the door. It kind of sucks. I wish there was more affordable pricing with the cheaper seats for the casual you know, MMA Joe and MMA Jill to get in the building. I can't blame the UFC because they are a business. Their goal is to make money. And simply put, I have a feeling they're probably going to host in that building. If they weren't, the ticket prices wouldn't be that high. The demand has to be there for pay-per-view events. But you mentioned even a fight night in Orlando is incredibly expensive. I just think the MMA, the UFC brand, that product sells. And the UFC is not going to cut corners when it comes to leaving a penny on the table. It's going to be expensive because they can afford to do it. It's just uh, the one thing I'll say is the people behind the UFC are some of the greatest like businessmen in the world because they know how to make a lot of money. I, I was thinking of, as someone who lives in the you know the southwest part of of Florida in Tampa and like thinking about whether or not I'd want to you know drive down and, and watch these fights and my general thought was like damn like if I want a good seat I'm probably spending at either at the four hundred five hundred six hundred dollar level and I haven't even gotten a hotel I haven't done anything else and I'm sitting there going. Like it, it's just one of these things where I'm like, it, it, like even if I live in Miami, I'd probably look at these ticket prices and go, "Crap, I might as well just sit home and watch it," because you know how much money I'm going to spend. Because like I always say, like if you want to take in a UFC event, floor seats are the worst seats in the house. I'm sorry, they suck. They're not good seats. Like you know, unless you got like the very first row, but the problem is you're probably going to be blocked out by a lot of people in front of you. That's why I always say is like you go to a UFC event or an MMA event in general. Get the first level about halfway up. I'm telling you, those are the best seats in the house. And I'm sitting here looking at that, and that seat probably cost me $600. Yeah, that's crazy. But also, cost for entertainment are freaking pricey. I mean, just buying a ticket to a concert, honestly, for a major act, the price range is pretty damn similar. Uh I think the one place you'll get a bargain is to watch some independent professional wrestling or 
regional mixed martial yeah. arts. That's probably going to be the place where a casual fan is going to watch the sport is on a non-UFC card, a night out with the friends to watch some regional MMA. The ticket is still pricey, right? They're still trying to make some money, but it's still, you know, 50 bucks uh, for, for a ticket or even cheaper if it's a, a smaller promotion. It, it, it's a lot, Jason. There ain't no there ain't no way of sugarcoating it. It's one of those things where you have to budget for it. There aren't a lot of people in this country that are making more than six figures a year, yeah. right? I, I don't know the economics of, of how that split is up, but there's a lot of people in my age range, mid-20s, late-20s now, who are just barely getting that type of income to afford – a $400, $500 ticket. I mean, you know, the target audience is probably going to be people who are 30 years or older, or I guess kids with really rich dads and moms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I just, I looked at it just from a completely a consumer aspect of like, damn, man. It, and we, we've talked about this in the past of, you know, when, when you talk about the price of being a combat sports fan, you know, and we've talked about from the aspect of, you know, all these streaming platforms that you have to have to be able to take in the, the content. I mean, if we just look at it from a MMA aspect, ESPN plus to me is a bargain for the amount of content that you get. But, you know, like I want to say after I bought UFC 284, I think after taxes, it was like. 83 $84. I just know because I, I pay with an Apple pay. <laughs> you get that little notification that pops up of, you know, Hey, the, you know, this is just got charged to your credit card. But, uh, you know, I, it just, I looked at that when I saw those prices, I was like, I mean, I just, I sat there like, Oof, man, like if you're a, a Miami MMA fan, who's been craving for the UFC to come back to that market, I, 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 Maybe I'm wrong here, but my expectation would be that there's a lot of fans who sit there and go, man, I just I can't afford that. Yeah, you it, it's it's tough to afford. I will say, if you're going to go to a UFC show, though, wait for the pay per view, buy the pay per view, buy that. You know, it, it's worth it to go and watch UFC 287. I wouldn't spend that type of money on a fight night, and I know the prices are cheaper for a fight night, but they still are pretty pricey. So if you are going to spend money. Spend it on the pay-per-view because the UFC does do a good job of loading up those pay-per-views, making them really, really good, especially the main card. You're probably going to have one to two super marketable fights. You know, if you're a fan in Miami and you do purchase those tickets, you're going to be in store for a Jorge Masvidal fight. You know, as long as the trial doesn't play a role in that against Gilbert Burns, you're going to be able to watch Izzy and, and Alex number two. And along with that, you know, I look at the rest of the card and I'm just like, damn, you know, Raul Rosas is on there. Kevin Holland and Ponzinibbio. Kevin Holland has not had a boring fight. Rob Font, Adrian Giannis, that's a good card. So my advice to the uh, the penny-pitching fan is wait for the pay-per-views. They'll be almost worth the price of the admission. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that we just, I mean, it's it's not cheap to be an MMA fan. Of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in here for the podcast. If you haven't watched this on YouTube, if you can, uh, you know, hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel if you're if you're not subscribed to the channel, and leave us a comment, and uh, I will we'll respond to those comments. I appreciate everyone that checks out this show, whether you're watching us in video form or whether you're listening to us on the audio platforms as well. But, uh, you know, Daniel, UFC 284 last weekend, I had, I had all plans to go out and watch this pay-per-view had a family dinner and then at that family dinner 
I was going to drop the wife off at home, go out and, and watch the, the pay-per-view with the fellas. But, uh, Saturday afternoon, man, got a little bit of a sore throat and, uh, yeah, I had no, no desire to go out. I wanted to go out to watch these fights, but ended up uh, watching them at home and, the main event was it, man, it delivered. I mean, I wasn't sure what was going to happen in that one. And, and like, as we talked about, like the takeaways of this, I mean, like to me, I had it three, two Islam Hachev. I, I thought one, two, four for Islam three and five for Volk. I mean, obviously the, you know, the thing about the fifth round is that, that I wonder is if Volkanovsky lands that strike with say three minutes left, as opposed to one minute left in a round, Maybe we are talking about Alexander Volkanovsky as a two-division champion. It, it's certainly possible. You never know. He was in that top position, and I do feel like there was a moment where it, there was a realization that there just wasn't enough time. But if he's on top with the possibility of two extra minutes, maybe the onslaught is even greater. Or maybe he just stands back up, lets Islam back up, and looks to trade again to put the finishing bow on it. I think, um, like you, I had the exact same scorecard, actually. Three and five for Volkanovski. To me, the difference in this fight was round four. It was the takedown. Islam's ability to seal the deal, get that takedown, get top top position, and control that round, win that round, go up three, two. Dude, that to me was the – that was was what sealed the deal. It was the moment where Volk, who's had success throughout this fight, defending the takedown, let that one up. And I think they both sensed it. So that's the difference in this fight. It was a hell of a fight. Both fighters should be proud of themselves. It was a really good pay-per-view. I had a great time watching this card. And when you watch this fight, you're like, this is a really legendary fight. These are two of the most skilled fighters we've ever seen fight in the UFC. And they are going toe for toe. It was one of those things where I was almost thinking, like, I would like to see a fight like this where there just isn't a time limit. Mm -hmm. Let these two fight forever until there's a finish, because it is just such a great matchup. If I'm Mahachev, I don't want to rematch. I don't want to rematch <laughs> with this man, this crazy man. Or if I do, I want it in two years when he's a little older. But uh, it felt inevitable that these two are going to collide again. And, you know, Volkanovsky, he, I think, gained even more fans in a losing effort. It probably helped that the crowd was behind him. He came across like a superstar, Mm -hmm. but it it was the type of performance where when you look at the legacies of both these fighters, it's one of the rare times where Volkanovski in a losing effort somehow increased his legacy. You know, one of the the talking points I wanted to bring up here is what did we learn about each fighter? And, And I feel like, I learned a lot from both guys. I probably learned more about Volkanovsky in what he was able to do when he was taking down and defending the grappling attempts that Islam was making. On the other side with Islam, I, I thought that one of the things I really saw out of him is I saw a fighter who's being very patient, not just with the grappling and, and being very strategic in how he did things, but I thought he was he he showed me a lot with what he could do on the feet. I mean, obviously Volkanovski, we knew what he could do on his feet, but like I do feel like in the aftermath of seeing all the commentary that's been on this fight, I do feel like Islam Mahachev is not getting enough credit that he deserves for what he went out there and did. Do you feel the same way as I do? Yeah, I think you lay you laid out everything I thought too. In that, even though Volkanovski got the better of the feet throughout the five round fight. Islam's like power 
on the feet was the great equalizer that won him rounds for me early on. It felt like even though maybe Volk had more accuracy and more technique, Islam was able to land a couple of shots that just did more damage, either stumbling Volkanovsky or doing the power. And, and maybe that's a part of it is the uh, the difference in weight between these two men. Mm-hmm. But to me, when I look at the stand-up, an aspect of this fight that heading into it, I favored Volkanovsky. And when the fight actually happened, he was the better of the two. Islam still was able to starch him a couple times and really almost erase like when you're looking at effective striking in a round, Volk's doing more effective striking, but then boom, more damage from Islam with the ability to just get Volkanovski walking around like he's had a couple too many shoeies. So I, I thought that was my big takeaway was that. And then also, you know, the cardio of Mahachev wasn't bad. It's just how superb the cardio of Volkanovski's is. It's like Islam slightly was going down as the fight was going on. But Volkanovski, it's almost like he's Hulk Hogan in the 1980s where he's just going up and up and up and up and up. His cardio is just completely unreal. You know, I think the now on the, I guess, quote unquote, maybe the the not positive side for Islam with Hachev is I think this potential narrative of him being better than Habib or Manga Madoff did did go down a pedestal or two because we never see saw Habib be in that type of fight. Like if, if I was gonna put anything negative, maybe that, that thought process of Islam being better than Habib is not quite accurate at this point. Yeah. Let me look at let me look at Habib's resume real quick, just to do a quick refresher. Um I will say, I just gonna double check before I say this. Habib's never fought a guy as good as Volkanovsky. In his entire career, in my opinion, I'm looking at Habib's resume just to refresher. And top three is Poirier, McGregor, Gaethje. But Habib never in a fight where he had to battle back, or he had a decision that could have gone either way. So I kind of agree with you. But the difference between Islam and Habib's career, when it's all said and done, is we're going to say Mahachev fought more elite fighters than Habib, and that's going to be the one thing Islam's going to have over Habib the entire time. But Habib is a player who kind of threw a perfect game when you look at his resume. He threw a perfect game, pretty much unblemished, and it's just it's nice and it's beautiful, and there aren't any missteps. Islam, I think, is going to throw more innings, more quality innings, and you know, maybe like Tom Brady. It's like Tom Brady versus Joe Montana. You know, Joe Montana, 4-0 in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady played a little bit longer. He's got seven rings for his fingers, but he also has some Super Bowl losses. When it comes to the debate between Islam and Habib, there's a good chance that might play out just like that. Well, no, it's very well. I mean, look, and the thing about Islam is, you know, and people point about this is, you know, you know, prior to his fighting against Charles Oliveira, the resume was not what you would hope that resume to be. But let me ask you this, because over the last 24 hours since the updated UFC rankings have come out, it seems like my timeline is filled with this debate of pound for pound, big deal or no big deal that Alexander Volkanovsky is still ranked as the number one pound for pound over Islam Mahachev. For me, Daniel, it's not a big deal. Like, I guess I go, I don't care. Like, I guess we about the best way I put it. Like, but like if I'm in the Islam Mahachev camp, 
yeah, I think this is a big deal. Yeah, I do too. I would I would be really pissed off actually if I won a fight against a dude and he is still ranked above me. I would be like, what the hell? He went into Australia. He beat the dude, and he's still ranked above me. I uh, look the pound for pound rankings, like you. I, I take it with a grain of salt. But let me just ask you straight up: Who would you rank higher? Would you rank Volk higher than Islam, or Islam higher than Volk? I would probably go Mahacha because of the victory. But if I was comparing resumes, Volk's got a better resume. Exactly, but there's a reason why I'm pretty sure Pereira is above Adesanya. I, I would think, but you you know Volk has a longer resume. But yes, the head-to-head victory and the fact that Islam has gone on this lightweight run and this doesn't just come across as some great upset. In fact, it was something we all expected. The fact that if these two were matched up, Islam would be a favorite. To me, he is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Uh, but it it seems like. People are using their opinion of the fight to to color in the, the reality of the rankings, which is the whole point. And what people are saying, I think, with this ranking is a lot of people are saying that they thought Volkanovski maybe won this fight. Look, three weeks from now, this may be a mute point. Because if John Jones wins the UFC heavyweight title in three weeks from now, he'll be number one pound pound. Yeah. You're right about that. You're right about that. And I mean, there's a great chance of that happening. There's, I mean, there's, I mean, there's probably an even chance of that happening as there. I mean, it's either he's going to win or he's not going to show up. One of those two things are going to happen uh, because, or, or maybe he's going to fight like ass. I mean, who knows? You, you never know. Like at some point, John Jones isn't going to be immortal. Right, time comes for us all, and if you don't spend your time wisely in between your layoffs, you you, you come out like a sack of potatoes, and you're going up against a tough guy. You, you might do that, but if Jones comes out, wins, even if it's a close decision, yeah, he's he's pound for pound because I've said it before, I've said it again. I I do recognize him as the most talented fighter to have ever fought, and we've never seen him lose other than the time he got disqualified against Matt Hamill. Although he was a part of two very close decision loss uh, wins over Gustafsson and Tiago Santos, those are really the only blemishes on his record, other than his actual criminal record. Now, as we one one other thing I want to mention about this main event, uh, the Dan Hooker tweet. This, this is only my my thought process on this tweet. Don't know whether he's right or wrong, but Dan, do you have evidence? That, that, that's purely my, I, I've seen um, one of Islam's managers basically kind of, uh, you know, tweeting about like, this is fake news, these are lies, whatnot. But my thing with Dan Hooker be like, hey, man, if you can prove this, let's, let's see the facts. Yeah. Yes. Some type of facts is important because, you know, to accuse someone of using IVs is a serious accusation. And, it dramatically changes the way we think about the fighter. And if it did happen, that's worth knowing. That's cheating. But when it's someone who's, you know, a part of very friendly of Volkanovsky, throwing out that accusation without evidence, it's something we have to take with a grain of salt. 
maybe there's smoke to that fire. People talk, but uh, as of present day, we don't have anything. And I do think if Dan Hooker has evidence, he'll probably share it. I mean, at first he kind of like subtweeted Mahachev before admitting that's who he was talking about, even though it was pretty obvious. Yeah. So maybe he's will. Maybe by the time we record next week, the uh, the entire way we look at this story completely changes. Do you um? Do you think, or when do you think we'll see these two fight each other again? Is it going to be years in the future? Will we see an immediate rematch? Do we ever see these two fight again? I don't think you see immediate rematch because I think you'll you'll see them move forward with Islam defending his title against somebody at 155 and then Volk having the title unification matchup against Yair Rodriguez. But maybe a year from now? Yeah. I uh, I didn't really see any of the post-fight scrum, but in the post-fight interview, it seemed like Volkanovski just wants to straight up move to lightweight. So I don't know if that's a thing where he's going to vacate the title after one more title fight or what. But yeah, I think so. I think maybe a year, <laughs> a year or so. That, that could very well be of the, uh, yeah, I'm tired of cutting the 145. I like this fight at 155 thing. You know, that's one of the things of, to me, it's always fascinating of what does a fighter weigh on fight night? And who, who knows how much uh, Mahachev weighed on fight night, but uh, California State Athletic Commission, they do release fight night weights. Did you see these fight night weights for the Bellator card? I didn't. Henry Corrales. So he weighs in at 145.6. Fight night weighs in at 172.2, gaining 18% of his weight back. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the other big ones were Lorenz Larkin went from 171 to 193.8. Uh, Antoli Tokov went from 184.8 to 204.4. By the way, he had seven pounds on Johnny Edwin on fight night. I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. The other big ones, uh, Bert Makamov, uh, he went from 171 to 189. Um, Laura, she went from 125.8 to 148.6, 18 uh, gain there. Um, but what, what is interesting is the fact of uh, Ryan Bader actually went down three pounds. He went down from his weigh in, yeah. He was 234.4 on weigh in day, uh, and then on uh, fight day, he was 231.8. I have never heard of that before, ever. Oh my gosh, so. He probably just didn't care. He probably just ate before his weigh-in. And then probably before the fight, yeah, he was running or something. Did, didn't want to eat. Yeah, didn't want to, you know, light day eating. That's hilarious. That's that's really funny. That's a, Yeah, that uh, dude, that's crazy when you think about putting on 19% of your body weight in 24 hours. Like, geez. This is yeah, I, I haven't talked to Henry about that. Um, but California basically said uh, – let his team know, yeah, we're not going to license you at 145 anymore. So be interesting to kind of see what Henry Krause, uh does there in terms of that. Um, you know, Yair Rodriguez, man, he looked great out there. Josh Emmett, man, there was no doubt about it. He had the power advantage in the fight. He landed some shots on, and Yair Rodriguez, I, I saw a quote from him where basically he talked about one of those shots in the first round, really did sting him. But, man, he, he looked absolutely great out there, and uh, – and I tweet about this after the fact. If you you are the UFC, how do you not go to Mexico with Yair in one one um, 
slot in your main event, co-main event, and the other main event, co-main event is Bram Moreno. And uh, hey, man, maybe uh, if it's not Brandon Moreno, maybe it's Alexa Grasso. She pulls off the upset, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think you're right. I think clearly we're going to see a big Mexican paper Mexico pay per view because there are now there's a flyweight champion who's Mexican. There's an interim featherweight champion. And then, hey, yeah, shout out to Alexa Grasso. She's challenging for a title. Uh, so that just sounds great. Yeah, year, man. It was like, I can't believe I picked Josh Emmett in this fight. That's all I was thinking. Like, you know, and I know it was back and forth, but then I was watching this fight and I was like, crap. Yeah, here, this, he's, he's, he's the guy who's been on the peripheral for a very long time. Like, it's been very clear for a very long time he's one of the best featherweights in the world. He's had a whole lot of bad luck. And it was just like, oh, no, he's, he's that dude. And that's what we saw. And the thing about him is he's so much fun to watch fight. He's not the type of guy to go out and dominate fights per se. He does get hit. He does get put in precarious positions. But by God, he's such a slick grappler. Such a slick grappler. And it was a great finish. And just a great fighter. I think he's going to have a lot of trouble against Volkanovski. He is. But he's also going to present a, a unique challenge for Volkanovski with the grappling, with his frame, with his straight-up athleticism. This is a, a, a supremely talented athlete. It was a great performance. And I thought it was a performance you see and you just think, damn, Yair is a star. And you do think of things you think like, damn, you know the UFC – was right to get behind this guy. He is someone who is just, I don't know what it is about him. Maybe it's his dashing good looks, the way he wears a cowboy hat. But Yair Rodriguez is a star. And uh, I think a lot of people came in for this pay-per-view for the main event. And they came away talking about Yair Rodriguez to go along with it. Dude, when you talk about a fighter that's got all the star potential, Jack Della Madalena. Oh, (laughs) you're, you're totally right. But he ain't the only Jack with star potential. But Jack Delamadalena <laughs> is absolutely the biggest, uh, the biggest, you know, star on the rise on this card. I mean, he comes in like he's just coming in to buy a Snickers from the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> he just pieces away Randy Brown. Oh my goodness, what a great welterweight! Uh, just, uh, just a hell of a fighter. Great talent. Saw him on the Contender Series. Looked good, but he's one of those guys who has looked better after the Contender Series than he did in his Contender Series fight. It's uh, he, He's awesome. He's awesome. I mean, what do you? Uh, what's the upside for a dude like this? It has to be UFC title contender. Has to be. If not, if not UFC champion. Like, you know, like I, I had in one of my notes was true, false, Madeline challenges for UFC title. By the end of 2024, I mean, look, that road is tough. I mean, I'm just, I'm looking at the top 15 right now. I mean, these are guys that Madeline is going to have to get through probably at some point. Shock Mock Rachmanov, Vicente Luque, who he already mentioned as a potential opponent. Sean Brady. The Brady would be a very interesting stylistic matchup of how would he handle Brady's grappling. Jeff Neal, Gilbert Burns, Blah Muhammad. Hamza Chimaev, even though I think Chimaev is probably more destined for 185 than he is 170. Then you're talking about Colby, Usman, and Leon Edwards. Like, to me, the ceiling is UFC title contender slash UFC champion. Yeah, I, I think because of what you laid out, I would probably say false on that idea. But two years, 
I'll say true. I mean, I say false because I think maybe we'll only get one more welterweight championship fight during that time frame after the Edwards Usman fight, and I don't think Jack will be the challenger. But um, well, you got to remember we're in twenty twenty three. That's yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good, I mean, yeah. So I guess you're right. I mean, the time frame could add up. I guess it comes down to does Chimaev stay for a title challenge, or is one eighty five going to be the place where he looks for that championship fight? And then I feel like there's going to be one more championship fight amongst those guys in between Jack and the title. And then it's Jack. So that's kind of the time frame you're looking at, I think, for a championship opportunity. But he also has to win all those fights. And the thing is, he's probably going to be the favorite in most of them. But, yes, those guys are killers. I mean, the one guy he probably doesn't want to fight is Rachmanov. Nobody wants to fight that guy. Absolutely nobody. But there are some very winnable fights. I think I would love to see him down the line take on the winner of um, Burns and Masvidal. That would be a very – and I think the winner of that fight is going to be Gilbert Burns. Uh, but that would be a very good fight for me. I mean, I just think maybe that's the type of fight. A Gilbert Burns fight is the type of fight that would be the number one contender's fight for a welterweight championship opportunity. And in that fight, I would probably pick Gilbert Burns. But Jack is just such a great striker. I think it really depends on how does this division unfold over the next 12 months. We know we have the title fight next month with, with Usman and Edwards. I still favor Kamar Usman to win that matchup. I mean, look, yes, he got knocked down in the fifth round, but we can't forget what the previous four rounds looked like. It was, it was a domination by Kamar Usman until he got caught there in that fifth round. Colby Covington. You know, he's kind of, become, you know, this is a guy that we have not heard from since the, the altercation with Jorge Masvidal. Bilal Muhammad has been calling for this fight. Hamzat Shemaev, what kind of plays out with him? We know we got Burns and Masvidal coming up. So, like, to me, it's about, like, I almost feel like if you're in the welterweight division, I almost kind of feel like you want Leon Edwards to win next month because... If Edwards, say Usman beats Edwards and it's a close 25-minute decision, do they just not? You probably have a trilogy matchup. So, like, that's why I feel like if you're in this division, you're probably hoping for a Leon Edwards matchup there. And then if Leon wins that matchup, you know if Leon wins that matchup and Jorge pulls it off in April, you know Jorge Maslow is getting a title shot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Jorge is one of those guys who he's got the easy pass to championship opportunities. And the way you get an easy pass is you uh, you spend money on it. For Jorge, the way you get an easy pass in the UFC is you make them a lot of money. And uh, that would make them and there, a and whole lot of money. And there's a, there's a storyline yeah. between these two guys, too. I mean, uh, and, and if you were Leon Edwards, why would you not be calling for that? Yeah, that's the easiest fight you could have as a champion. But I mean, I don't. I look. I don't think Masvidal is going to get past Burns. But you're totally I right. Know. I mean, my Bird, Burns looks like a damn champion to I, me. Like, geez, Louise, that guy. That guy is just crazy good. But you know, he's also older. Too. I mean, Jorge's older, but uh, Burns is also up there in age. But yeah, it's exciting, man. Exciting times. There's there's about three or four youngish welterweights where you just are super excited about the future of this division. Uh, also talk about UFC 284. I want to give some kudos to Mark Goddard. Not a lot of refs would do what he did. Taking the point for 
Alonzo Minifield grabbing the fence. I mean, look, it was a blatant fence grab. I have zero issues with it. I mean, more times than not, I feel like referees will let a guy grab a fence about 20 times before they call a point. But I mean, look, it was a, it was a, a big moment in the matchup, but I give Mark Goddard all the credit in the world. And I think that shows why he is right now the best referee in the game. Yeah, and it's a it's a point deduction that completely changed the result of this fight because if it wasn't, Alonzo Medifield gets the victory. Uh, that point deduction played a key role. I agree with the point deduction. I, in fact, believe all fence grabs should be a point deduction. I've said it several times already, but it's because it is the one error in this sport. There are a few like this, but it's an error where it the intention is clear. You don't accidentally grab the fence. You can accidentally poke somebody in the eye. You can absolutely accidentally kick someone in the ding-ding. You can't, by accident, grab the fence. And it was a very pivotal takedown. Uh, I feel bad for these guys. They had a fight-of-the-night caliber fight on that main card. That fight was crazy good. And also, when you talk about the referee discretion, um, kudos to him for not stopping the fight when Jimmy Crute was hurt. Because there were several times where Alonzo Menifield, Alonzo Menifield had Jimmy Crute on Dream Street, where it looked like the fight could be called. But I just thought this fight was awesome. It showed Jimmy Crute's heart. Uh, Menifield's stand-up power was just violent. It's a fight that deserves a rematch, and I can't wait to see it. In terms of everything else that, that happened at uh, UFC 284, Justin Toffa, man, he looked good with that that knockout punch, kind of a, in a way, a knockout a knockout punch, uh, just walk off, uh, you know, grand slam home run that he had there. Kudos to him uh, going out there and do that. Uh, in terms of the rest of the car, what else stuck out to you? Okay, so looking at everything else, I mentioned it. Jack Jenkins, you know, it was a decision win, but it was it was more a decision because that dude he took on Don Shanus. Uh, you could tell he's a Boston guy. He's tough as they come. And he took some violent leg kicks. Jack's leg kicks are crazy. I wasn't aware that he had broken so many people's legs with leg kicks in his fights. But he has. He has a great look. A phenomenal mustache. Uh, I, I love Jack Jenkins. I, I think this is a really good featherweight fighter. The other the other two. Um, oh, three things. One, Elvis Brenner, to me, shouldn't have got that decision against Zubera too. To Hogoff. I, I thought that was a bad scorecard. Two, uh, Luma Luke Bumi. Really solid uh, uh, win there in the second round over Elise Reed. Just uh, brought, you know, quick uh, rear naked choke in round two. And lastly, damn, they should have had a, a Portuguese translator because I was very interested in Clayton Rodriguez, the uh, the flyweight. I don't know who missed weight between him and Ross, but uh, he, uh, he just destroyed this dude. And when you see power like that, and it wasn't like um, boom, the guy's out like like a like a stone cold knockout. It was more like a, a barrage of strikes. But anytime you see a fighter with fight finishing ability like that at 125 pounds, like Clayton Rodriguez, you get real excited about the kid's future. Yeah, uh, Rodriguez is the one who missed weight. I want to say he missed weight by like one and a half pounds. I want to say half pounds. Yeah, it says, that? It says like 127 uh, uh, pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one pound over there. Uh, we also got a note: uh, long time coming, but it finally come for Jens Pulver to be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. Uh, this is a long time coming. I mean, there's there's a lot of fires I think that we can look at and say they should be in the UFC Hall of Fame. 
And, and right when John Anik was announcing it, before they put Jens up on the screen, I was like, are they actually going to do it? Are they going to put Anderson Silva in? Nope. I'm guessing we won't see Anderson Silva in the UFC Hall of Fame for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's the... Look, that's the one thing that sucks about the UFC Hall of Fame is that it is very political. And the thing that sucks is, you know, the definitive... Eric Hawani is, is such a good resource because something crazy happens and you know on Monday, whoever it happened to is going to give you an amazing 35-minute interview. And so you just wait for the MMA hour and I listen yeah. to this interview and it was a great interview. And it, it's... It, it meant so much to Jens Pulver to get in the Hall of Fame. So that's kind of what sucks about the UFC Hall of Fame is it means so much to these guys, as it should. Hall of Fames mean a lot to NFL players, baseball players, NBA players. It's the end of your story in the sport athletically or as a competitor. It sucks because there's a bit of a politics game. You know, now Jens Pulver's working with the UFC. Now he finally gets the call when he's someone who has deserved it since the day he left mm -hmm. the WEC because he is the godfather of the UFC lightweight division. He's someone whose early career I uh, was unfamiliar with. He obviously started competing in the UFC before I started watching, but he won the UFC Bantamweight Championship, which is for 155, against uh, Cal Uno. He, he beat BJ Penn to start off. He had a great run. He was a pivotal part of the WEC. He was, he was a massive fight for Uriah Faber. They got a pretty big audience on the Versus Network. And then uh, the midpoint. For me personally, the Forrest Griffin was my favorite fighter, but the content that got me into the UFC when I was at school was downloading seasons of The Ultimate Fighter Season 5 to my iPod and watching it. Jens Pover, BJ Penn, I don't know where this season ranks, but I think season five of The Ultimate Fighter might be one of the most important seasons of that show's history. Uh, I got to rewatch it. When I was watching the uh, clip the UFC did, man, that moment between him telling Nate Diaz that he's going to have a bright future, wow, what a great scene. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's awesome. And I'm really glad that he has a gig with uh, the UFC doing the Twitch stream. The other point I thought when I listened to that interview was, he talked about how the UFC wanted to do a Where Are They Now segment with him for years, and he kept on telling them no because he was unhappy with where he was in his life. He finally said yes because he got the deal with the Twitch, and that gave him a really purposeful job that he loved, and he was happy with his life. And it's a beautiful story, but all I can think about is all of the other fighters who are retired or forced to retire um, that – feel the way Jens do does and doesn't have something that lights their flame, but he had some really good advice. He's like, just remember what you loved, you know, as a kid and, and follow that. So uh, it's a beautiful story. Um, and uh, he, he's obviously a hall of famer. He's one of the most important fighters for the lighter weights of the mm -hmm. UFC. Yeah. That, that life after fighting, you know, and I've had a chance to to talk to a lot of fighters about that. And, and it's kind of like, you know, we, we see like the, the success stories of these fighters who have been able to go into broadcasting. But there's a lot of guys that are struggling with, you know, what life after fighting, especially like, 
you know, the, the pioneer days of this sport, you know, those fighters that, you know, didn't get the, the, the paydays that some of these fighters are getting today. I mean, and, and to see that emotion, you bring a great point of showing what it meant for Jens Pulver. And I know behind the scenes, his manager, Brian Butler has been petitioning and trying to get people on the side of Jens Pulver to get in. But you know, the one thing is, is like there, there's a lot of fighters out there that should be in the hall of fame, but because they're not necessarily on the best of terms with the UFC, that they're not in there. And, and that's that's one of those things there. But uh, congratulations, Jens Pulver, for getting in. Uh, before we get into uh, this week's UFC card, Bellator making some news today. They are going to Hawaii for back-to-back nights of show, April 21st, April 22nd. The Friday show will be headlined by Liz Carmouche and Deanna Ben. A rematch there, of course, for the flyweight title. Also, uh, that'll be the... Bellator debut of Sarah McMahon. She's going to be taking on Arlene Blinko. And then Bellator 295 on that Saturday night. Rafael Stotts and Patchy Mix is going to headline that card. Uh, Stotts Mix is, when I think about fights that I'm really, like, I'm excited to see that to me is one of those, one of those fights that if I was going to say, hey, you know, over the next two months, three months, what are the fights that really get me excited? Mix and Stotts would probably be in my top five. I mean, you when the Grand Prix was laid out, this was one of the finals that made a lot of sense, and it's just a great fight. Uh, I have no sense on where I'm going with my prediction, but um, stats and mix, it's it's uh, you know, I think that Bellator 295 card. I mean, obviously, we just have two fights announced right now, but if they add some more stuff to it, it's going to be must watch TV between that fight, the Ali Malay fight. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to it, and I always love the the venue of, of Hawaii. So I, I'm, uh, I'm very, very excited. And, you know, you have the guy who wins the tournament and then you can go in and, and put that fight with them with uh, Sergio. And uh, you got yourself a, a damn good fight. Yeah. I mean, the one thing we do not know yet is when uh, Patricky Pitbull and AJ McKee are, are going to match up next boats or card actually is uh, coming up here in uh, 10 days from now over there uh, in Dublin, Ireland. Of course, going to be headlined by Amosov and Storley. Um, and then uh, it, pretty much it's it's a European Bellator card is about the best way to put it over there. Um, you know, obviously interested to see Amosov. And my understanding is that there's going to be uh, a ton of video packages coming out about uh, what has been going on with Amosov. He's now living uh, in the United States with his family. Of course, I think we all know the story about him uh, helping, his, you know, going to battle for his home country there in Ukraine. But Daniel, on Saturday night, we've got UFC Vegas 69. We've had change in the main event. Thalia Santos out. Jessica Andrade in, taking on Aaron Blanchfield. And, man, Aaron Blanchfield, they gave her, <laughs> you, you, like, hey, by the way, we know you were facing this killer in Thalia Santos. She's out. Oh, by the way, we have another Brazilian killer coming your way. And Jessica Andrade's like, I kind of feel bad for Aaron Blanchfield here because, like, Man, I mean, you know, stylistically, I think you're, you know, you're, you know what you're facing in, in Thalia Santos. And look, you know what you're facing in Jessica Andrade. Yeah. A fighter who's going to hit you really effing hard. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> dude, Blanchville literally went from the top two, from like the, she basically has the top two fighters who don't have a championship. That's the two fighters she yeah. has been scheduled to fight. Uh, Dude, if I was her, I probably wish I would be fighting Talia Santos, to be completely honest with you. 
I think Jessica Andras is just on another level right now. She has been murking people. She's so dominant. The takeaway from her fights isn't, oh, she's really good. The takeaway is, oh, her opponent should her opponent's corner should have stopped the fight. That's how much she beats people up. Aaron Blanchfield has having a trial, not by fire, but trial by volcano. And the thing is, she might be up to for the task. She is one hell of a wrestler, Jason. She is someone who clearly has a championship aspiration and a re- and simply put, she wins this fight, she gets the fight against the, the champion. But Jason, I don't know what to tell you. There there's no one in this weight class that hits as hard as Andrage. You know, as you were talking, I was over at UFC stats and, and I was pulling up Jessica Andrage and looking at who has been able to take her down. So the last time she was taken down in a fight was four fights ago. That was against Valentin Shevchenko. Shevchenko took her down seven times in two rounds. Prior to that, you have to go all the way back to 2018 in a, a win for herself, but she was taken down two times by Tisha Torres. Uh, and then you have to go all the way but then back to 2015, Raquel Pennington took her down two times. So moral of the story is it's not easy to take down Jessica Andrade, but if you're Aaron Blanch- Blanchfield, that has to be the, the, the thought process. And I think the fact that this fight is in the UFC apex, so you're in the smaller cage, I do believe that is a benefit to Aaron Blanchfield. Typically, that 25-foot cage is more beneficial to you know the, the fire that wants to grapple. But uh, like if you tell me, I, I can't pick against Jessica Andrade here. She's been on a roll. I like her here at 125, and, and I think that she's going to get another win here, even though I still think the, the ceiling is super high for Aaron Blanchfield. Yeah. The difference is just we've seen Andrade do it before against elite fighters, and Aaron just hasn't had the opportunity. She's 23 years old. She's aced every test in the UFC. But, you know, her best test so far is either Molly McCann or, you know, uh, J.J. Aldrich. And Andrade is a former champion who's fighting like a champion. I think Blanchfield's going to be able to probably take down Jessica in this fight. But this is a five-round fight. And I think because of that, even though Jessica throughout her career, has had cardio problems. It appears as though that has been addressed. Uh, I just think the dynamic of on the feet, it's going to be really hard to penetrate that, like, uh, area of offense. You know, like like when, when Aaron's going to go for that takedown, Jessica's just going to piece her up. Mm-hmm. She's going to make it She's gonna get, make it a tough time. So, clearly, Blanchfield has a really easy way to win fights, bring the opponent down. Also, Jessica hasn't had a full fight camp to game plan to defend wrestling at the level of Aaron. Those two things play a big role for Blanchfield. But like you, I'm just going to go with what I've already seen and say that this will be a very important learning opportunity for the 23-year-old. But the ceiling is... What are, what are the odds on this fight? What are the odds on this fight? Uh, Jessica Andrade, is, I want, she is a minus 150 betting favorite. Wow. Yeah, I would put money on Andrade in this fight. I would. I, 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 when I saw it, I was actually surprised it wasn't more. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's just uh, it's the upside of Blanchfield versus what we already know for Andrade. And uh, I think both me and you are a bit conservative with this fight pick. 
Now, I will say this. So I've got a birthday party to go to on, on Saturday night. So I'm, I wouldn't be watching this fight card live anyway. On paper, not exactly a fight card that gets you uh, all excited, though. In terms, no, of no, no. Um, to me, this is to me. There's only two fights I'm really looking forward to when I look at this fight night. It's this one, and then it's um, Jim Miller and Alexander Hernandez. That's the other fight that's got my interest. Jim Miller's having a late career resurgence. It takes me about, you know, the guys fought so much in the UFC. It takes me about four minutes just to scroll down his Wikipedia page to his resume. But, uh, you know, Alexander Hernandez is better than the three guys he's beat on his run. I still think he probably has enough to beat Hernandez, even as a slight dog. So those are the two good fights. The, The rest of the card, there isn't anything too sexy about it. OSP Felipe leans. I mean, that's a nice little find the prelims. OSP is very up there in age. Don't know if he still has enough in the tank, but Felipe leans. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Felipe has not looked good in the UFC, and and uh, that's been a bit of a shocker. Um, the other thing I'll say is this dude. Uh, he had a video go pretty viral on the Reddit MMA. This debuting fighter, Hussein Askhabov. 23 and 0. I watched his highlight package. This dude looks legit. He's going up against Jamal Emers at featherweight. So I'm very excited for uh, Hussein Askabov. By the way, you mentioned about Jim Miller's Wikipedia. So he has a chance to win four fights in a row if he gets a win on Saturday night. You want to know the last time he won four fights in a row? 2009? 2011. So. So if you look back at 2000, so from 2009 to 2011, he won one, two, three, four, five, six. He won seven in a row. His longest win streak since that has been three fights. Well, I think it's going to go four in a row. I, I love seeing him fight. I, I really do. I, I love the, uh, the the late career resurgence, and yeah. uh, I dig it. You know, Jim Miller is one of those guys like, you know, he he's he will all will be, be an OG of this sport. Like he's one of those guys that when you talk about guys who like if there was an MMA Hall of Fame that should get in even though they didn't win a UFC title, Jim Miller's one of those guys. Just because yeah. of the, the longevity and I mean, how many times have, you know, have we counted this guy out? You know, and, and he's one of those guys that you just, you know, there was a time when people mentioned about him UFC Hall of Fame, I'd be like, "Oh man, but you know, but then you start thinking about just the longevity and the fact that he is still doing it at the age that he's doing it in the hardest division there is in the UFC. Yeah. Yep. He, uh, he, he's one of those guys where I do believe mileage matters when it comes to having an MMA career because it's very hard to stay at the top of the UFC and for him to do it. He's a hall of Famer in my book. I think, um, the other two fighters to keep an eye on, well, three, one of the co-made event, I mean, Zach Paga, who won the Ultimate Fighter, he, he's worth keeping an eye on. He's, he's a pretty good fighter. Wait, did he lose or did he beat – did he lose to Usman or did he beat Usman? He lost to Usman. Oh, crap. He lost. Never mind. I'm sorry. It was Mohamed Usman who, who got the win. I apologize. He lost. I saw that whole season of the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he looks good during the season. But uh, anyways, um, he's probably going to win that fight. But the two fighters, one, Nazim Sadikov, lightweight. Uh, Trent Saralongo, good fighter, interesting name. And then flyweight, Clayton Carpenter, pretty big favorite, 6-0, interesting name. So the three prospects, Askabov against Jamal Embers, Sadikov against Elder, 
and Clayton Carpenter in in the opener. Those are the three names I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, before we get out of here on this edition of the podcast, I want to mention something that I saw over at the MMA Reddit. It was a Drew Dober tweet. Drew Dober quotes a tweet from somebody by the name of Ruben Carter, who apparently is a, uh, he likes, I guess he, his bio mentions about how uh, follow him for UFC leaks. So the tweet was, Drew Dober's Patty Pimlet target for May 6, UFC 288. Drew agreed to this fight just waiting on Patty. Drew Dober quotes a tweet saying, we're working on some big things this year. Boy, I do not like that fight for Patty Pimlet. If that truly is being booked, ooh, I think that's a bad matchup for Patty Pimblett. Yeah, Drew Dober's effing good. He, he's talented. And he hits like uh, a truck. And look, yeah. Patty Pimblett, he's, he's, he's got that it factor of being a star, but his boxing defense is not ideal. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he doesn't accept that fight. Maybe they're trying to put pressure on Patty Pimblett to, uh, to accept it. Because, uh, yeah, that's that's a when you look at his style, you know, stand up fight against Dober, that's not a nice night for Patty Pimblett. I mean, look, there, there's going to come a point where you know you're, you're not going to kind of get that that favorable matchup, and and maybe that maybe that maybe that says a lot about. Of course, I mean, look, Patty may be making so much of money that the UFC is like, hey, man, we we can't give you the handpick matchup. You're yeah, gonna have, you're gonna have to start fighting the top guys in this division. We're gonna have to give you a fight that we can sell to get more pay per view buys. Yeah, I agree. Um, but that's just that. I mean, that that's the worst of both worlds because Drew does have a big name value, but he's a very dangerous opponent. I think for Patty, when you're starting to make that step up in competition and the UFC for because the UFC's in the Patty Pimlet business, uh, they're gonna want a guy who's also got more of a bit of a name value. But yeah, it's uh man, that's that's a tough fight for Patty Pimblett. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't accept it. By the way, did you ever think you would hear the words cocaine come out of uh, oh. Bruce Buffer's mouth during a UFC card? God, I'm glad you mentioned it. That was something I wanted to talk about. Not not uh not, you know, cocaine, but cocaine bear. Uh dude, dude, there is average uh, so um, me and my wife were in Orlando, um, two weeks ago. And so, um, we were over there at universal, we were staying at one of the hotels and then we were going to go to the park, but it was raining. And I was like, Hey, you know, let's go watch a movie. And by the way, we are not going to the movie theater people. I, it's probably been years since I went there. And so we went and saw a movie and you know, the, the previews are playing for God knows it seems like an hour. And that one comes on. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like whoever wrote this movie had to be high, had to be high. Well, it's based on a true story. Oh, oh I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> it's based on a true story. <laughs> I don't know how you know. Obviously, I don't think people like. I don't. The the, the true part is probably the cocaine bear didn't like uh, attack and kill a bunch of people. I believe, but I do believe. Let me see. It is inspired by the true story of an American black bear that ingested a duffel bag full of cocaine in 1985. So that part did happen. So yeah, somebody, so it was one of those things where it wasn't even a creative idea, but, uh, okay. They were high browsing the internet one night, came across that story. (laughs) Now we're talking. Then they wrote the script of the movie. 
the ads all over the UFC. It's all over the Super Bowl. I'm like, and my wife looks at me and she goes, I know this movie's kind of dumb, but I kind of want to go see it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I want to see it too. But here was the point I texted you. I don't think, and I'm going to have to start paying more attention to all the other sports I watch. Because I do know all these sports have native advertising where the the broadcaster does a read. Like, yeah. this field goal has been brought to you by Dan's Donuts. Eat the donut. Right? That's all over the place. But I really feel like the UFC has more of these things than anything else. I mean, I feel, or maybe it's just the way John Anik reads it. But I swear to God, in every pay-per-view fight, during the fight, he does a read for Cocaine Bear. <laughs> a, a, a highlight real knockout could be happening at the same time that he goes for the read. You never know. Yeah. When you start a read, you never know what's happening in the cage. And it's just so annoying that in every single fight for this pay-per-view, I spent $85 for, I have to hear <laughs> about Cocaine Bear. Yeah. And I know it's only three seconds. But it's so annoying. And then we go to the official decision that's brought to you by kegs or whatever the hell. And then there's this brought to you by that. I look at the octagon. There's 470 ads. I see the damn Prime ad. I'm like, these people have sold so many ads. It is crazy. But it just feels like the broadcast is just infiltrated with these reads. And I'm so tired of also hearing about the DC RC show. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, look, I I think you see it more in the UFC broadcasting, but I also say that coming from a a radio play by play broadcasting perspective, you you have a lot of that in radio play by play because it's it's really easy to kind of get those cards in, and it's a way to make money. No, I know it is a way to make money, but how often does it actually happen when the play is going on? No, like no, the, not when not when the play is going on. No, it's the, it's the, always after a play. Like, like for us and what we do with the Buccaneer Radio Network broadcast, a lot of it will be, you know, we, we would throw it in like, like if there's a sack, we have a sack card or a field goal gets made, there's a field goal card or um, end of the quarter, getting a quarter, you know, coming in out of the, coming in or, or going out of a break, you know, th- those are in there. But you, look, when you said to me, I was like, yeah, I do think it, we get a lot more advertisements inside a UFC broadcast and say like last night when I'm watching the NBA on TNT and it's the NBA on TNT, which is on TV. We're watching a pay-per-view that we spent money on, which I mean, we spent money on cable, but you spent $85 on this pay-per-view and during the fight, you got to hear about cocaine bear five times. And it's just like, damn, geez, I'm so tired of cocaine bear. And maybe I just noticed it because the movie's called cocaine bear and it's not a, a title that is more forgettable to where I'm not thinking about it. But yeah. You, you know, it was kind of, it makes me think about when I was watching uh, Bellator 290. Um, what, last week? Two weeks ago. Yeah. And, you know, and, and thinking about kind of, you know, that, that line Dana White had a couple of years ago about why they wanted the, the fighter uniform because they didn't want fighters looking like a NASCAR. In which that is what ha- the UFC Matt has become. But then, like, I, I watch a, a Bellator fighter where they can have as many sponsors as they want. A lot of them don't have a ton of sponsors. Yeah. Which is, it's it's kind of interesting. Like, I, I just wonder from a, a business aspect from the fighter that 
if they're not, in, you know, if they're not in the UFC cage, what, what does a, an advertiser look at as their value? Yeah. And I, and I think that's true. I think that there's just less eyeballs on non UFC products, but like to put it to an NFL perspective, look at the Kelsey brothers. They've been able to develop a brand through their podcast. How many people knew who Jason Kelsey, like a hardcore football fan, they know who Jason Kelsey is because he's a tremendous center. But like, I think it's a sign of, and and I think fires can take this. Like if you can develop an online property, like the Kelsey brothers have, it can really elevate your stock. Yep. I mean, I think that's why so many fighters have their own YouTube channel, which is great. That, and that's what they need to do, right? Yeah. They need to be like Sean O'Malley or Patty Pimblett. Those are two guys that have done that. They have their own YouTube channel, and, and they make their own content. Yeah, just don't go maybe down the questionable gambling route. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, look, if you find yourself making a Discord, you may have gone too far into the content creation, right? But, I have, yeah. I, Me and Pete have a Discord, but it's totally free. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, you're not quartered any fighters. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. No, Maybe. look, I, I will say this. I think Discord is, as someone who is relatively new to the Discord world, um, to me, it's a, it's a great way to interact with the, the people that, that take in your content. No, yeah, and I'm in two Discords, so I, I kid around. But, yeah, it's a nice little community. It's, it's real easy. You go to my phone. And I get to uh, talk to all my friends, and it, it is a good app. But it's just, I don't know, just the way that James Krause was selling it. It's like, subscribe, get in the Discord, you know. And, yeah, I'll take over your account. I'm I'm just sitting here waiting. When's, when's that next shoot going to drop? Yeah, he got another shout-out on the broadcast. Um, I don't know who was fighting, but John Anik mentioned him. Uh, Don Shanus was yeah. at Glory. And then, of course, you know, he obviously had to make the decision. To, he ended up going back to the Northeast. That's why it's going to be interesting to see who is in James Gallagher's corner on March the 10th. He's still training in Glory. Now, Glory is under new management, new a uh, new ownership, I should say. Um, Joe Wooster is the person that bought uh, the gym from, from James Krause. But it'll be interesting to kind of see who is in James Gallagher's corner. For his uh his upcoming fight against um Leandro Ego, I think I think about that for a second because I know it's on the preliminary car, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, maybe it'll just be uh, James Krause with a mustache. Yeah. Well, I, I remember when Scott Coker was asked about it a month, month and a half ago. Scott Coker basically, hey, he goes that that's uh. He goes, A, that's a commission decision. And he goes, and then if the commission does license him, he goes, then that'll be a, a, a conversation for us to have as a promotion of whether or not, um, you know, we're, we're going to allow it. If James Krause is licensed as the corner man? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, our commission is not going to license him. But, yeah, that's uh... I, I would be relatively surprised if a commission – did approve him. And I want I want to say that March 10th is in um in San Jose, I want to say. And so, you know, Kraus is under a temporary suspension right now with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. So I would it would be highly shocking to me if Andy Foster 
um, approved um, him to be a second for James Gower. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a lock. I think that's a <clears throat> that's a lock you can put some money on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's it's one of those stories that I'm just like, okay, we really haven't heard any developments on the story, so like, you know, of course, you know it's going to happen now, Daniel. There's going to be something that breaks by the time. We get off this this conversation. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. It's gonna it's gonna break like someone's been arrested or or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. As the world turns into mixed martial arts. Yeah. By the way, seems like the UFC is really toned down the whole slap fighting promotion. I don't know if you noticed that. I've noticed. It. I, I I didn't notice it, but by, by the way, speaking of um, slap fighting, um, one of the uh, competitors received a uh, temporary suspension today what happened what do you do you have any thoughts of what he could have been suspended for by the nevada state athletic commission uh drugs drugs steroids uh not steroids no but you're you're marijuana you're you're close you're close cocaine cocaine Cocaine. oh my god (laughs) Was yeah, it, was Joe it? Joe Kennedy, um, and so this is, comes from MMAJunkie.com. By the way, I'm sure you could probably hear the uh, fire jets flying over my house as I'm, I'm next to an Air Force base. Uh, John Kennedy, 37-year-old slap and MMA fire from Iowa, tests a positive in a drug test uh, surrounding his knockout loss to John Davis. The Nevada State Athletic Commission announced at a monthly meeting held on Wednesday. He was suspended nine months and fined a total of $476.00 which includes $326 in legal fees. He's eligible to return to combat sports competition in the state on August the 30th. I'm looking at the picture of, uh, of Kennedy on the MA junkie article and let me put all this white powder on their hands. And just looks like there's just a bunch of cocaine floating in the air as he's getting the crap slapped out of him. Like he's just getting the cocaine slapped out of his system, but apparently it wasn't slapped out quick enough. Look, I, I kind of want to do an interview with the people whose job it is to catch them. Yeah, yeah. The you want to see? You want to talk to Forrest Griffin? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have I I have not watched any of the episodes since episode two. Yeah, that's still going on. It's still I, going I, on. I feel kind of dirty watching that show. Yeah, there's something about um, people getting concussions when they're not able to defend themselves that makes me feel pretty bad. Don't tell Dan White that. He'll tell he'll tell you about how boxers get hit 600 times in a fight. That was so stupid. Dan, Dan just said the dumbest things. It's just crazy. Every he has, week. He has to defend it in some way. At the end of the day, I just I, I feel like that's a digital property. Like that, that's the type of content that you take on in a, an IG reel slash TikTok. I, I just don't think it, I mean, look, there's going to be an audience out there that wants to watch it, but I just think for the most part, that's a, that's a digital, Hey, I, I see this video on my IG reel or on my TikTok. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's what it is. It's just, um, it's the, it's the perfect thing for the digital age. It's a way to grab attention for a half second and you see it and it's entertaining and then you don't really think about it that much after. No, no, you don't. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I saw a whole scene. I saw a whole episode, and um, 
The only thing I remember from the first episode is the two girls that fought each other. That's oh, it. was that like the one that like she basically thought it'd be cool to do this, and then she got brutally KO'd? I mean, she got knocked out. Yeah, yeah, it was that one. That, that was it the was one that fa- she face planted. She got up and then face planted. Yeah, yeah, she did the front roll. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so I remember one. that. Yeah. By the way, I know we got some wrestling fans that are uh, are avid listeners of ours. Uh huh. Is Sami Zayn winning the title on Saturday? Can we get the Daniel prediction? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, that'd be crazy, but no, I don't think so. Uh, I just feel like Roman Reigns has had the championship for so long. It'd be really weird if he loses the championship before WrestleMania. But, you know, they've done a good job of selling you. I, I, is it match this weekend? Yeah, it's Saturday in Montreal, yeah. Holy crap. I thought it was next week. Wow. Um, no, I don't think he wins, but I'm looking forward to it. I mean, the crowd is going to be effing crazy. It's one of the best storylines. Um, you know, it's one of the best storylines WWE's done in like five years. Or really, it's one of the best storylines you've ever done. It really is. It's just great. It, it transcends uh, being a, a hardcore WWE fan. Casual people know about it. But, uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to win. Do you think he's going to win? I don't think so. I think they're setting up for Cody to win the title WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. But uh, it, it would just be really weird if, like, Roman Reigns has had this long championship reign. He loses it to Sami Zayn. And then Cody Rhodes just beats Sammy a month later. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like where they, they kind of screwed this one up. And, and look, I think they've done great story writing with this one. I think they should have had Sammy win the Rumble. And then they could have like a two-month lead up to, this, to it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I felt like they should have done that. And they should have had Sammy versus Roman at the Rumble, at Mania. And then just waited for next year for Cody to win the championship. Uh, that's what I would have done, but you know, we're not booking, but, uh, who, who knows where the story goes on? I mean, maybe it's going to be the other Uso brother who sided with Sammy. Maybe he's going to be the guy to beat Roman. But, uh, I mean, I I think it's pretty clear that Cody's going to win the championship at, at WrestleMania. I mean, but who knows? I, I'm looking forward to it. Like that crowd is going to be crazy. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, like, that's the thing I, I really enjoyed about watching UFC 84 was just, like, the crowd reactions to the fires from down under from for Jack Del Maddalena and, and Alexander Volkanovsky. It was one of those things of, like, I mean, if Volkanovsky would have been announced as a winner, that place would have gone insane. Oh, yeah. Oh, Shoeys yeah. would have been galore. Oh, yeah, man. I loved seeing Ty Tuivasa do a shoey at, like, 930 in the morning. I was thinking about that as well. I was like, dude, it's like 9 a.m. and he's doing the shoey. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. But, uh, yeah, the crowd was bananas. And, uh, man, those people are troopers, right? The first fight was at 7 a.m. local time. But, but you think about it, that's when, they, that's when it's live normally for them. So they're, yeah. used, they're used to that, that time frame. It's a lot better for them than I think it is for people in Japan and England. Uh, but I actually don't know what time it happens over there. Well, I, so England would be, they're a five-hour time difference from East Coast. So they're five hours later? Correct. Oh, yeah, so that's just like three in the morning. Yeah. Four in the morning, yeah. That's like, I remember when I was in Germany, the pay-per-view came on at like, God, what was it? It was like, the main event was like at 6 a.m. local time. 
Oh, yeah. Because so, I remember I woke up and it just ended. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, those people have it way harder than those in Australia. Australia, like, I will say this. It's always, it's kind of one of those places I've, like, is a bucket list I want to go to. Yeah. Maybe they'll have an NFL game over there. Yeah, maybe they'll maybe. do. I could see that. I mean, you know, they have Australian rules. Football. I would, I would not, I would not look forward to that flight. How, how, how long is it? Like a whole day? John Hannick talked about, I want to say he says like a 36 hour flight trip for him. I think uh, it's like yeah. 17 hours from like LA. That's crazy, bro. Well, That's because cr- not because once you got there, you, I think I want to say he said they flew in the Sydney. Then you had to fly Sydney to Perth, which is yeah. on the other side of the country. And it's a big, it's a big old country. Yeah. 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 Wow. Those people are troopers. I can't imagine what it's like to do a weight cut uh, when you have to deal with that. Well, I think, I think a lot of the guys, um, I, I want to say Machev's team went over there like two weeks ahead. Well, that, yeah. yeah, for sure. I remember that from the embedded episode. They said that. But like, if you're someone who's fighting, a, you know, first fight in the UFC, you maybe can't afford that. Oh, I was sitting there thinking about it when pay per view started and Alonzo Minifield, he's only got one cornerman. That's probably why. It's right? it's probably there's a financial cost to that of like, hey, if I how much money would you have to shell out if you got a if you're bringing additional corner people with you? It's freaking pricey. Freaking really, really pricey. I mean, there's a reason why when you say going to Australia, it's like a pipe dream. It's like you gotta save up some damn money to go over there. Oh, I'm saying this right now. If I ever do it, I'm flying first class. Oh, I am yeah. not flying for, coach. No, screw that. I am first class that, all the way. For that long? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm pa- I'm paying the extra for that. Yeah. Be- You're not trying to go coach on that one. No way. Absolutely not. Yeah, you will be hating life by the time you get down there and the land down under. Yeah, because, I, mean, I, I mean, I don't know if you've flown recently, but um, all these planes are packed to the gills. Uh, I haven't flown recently, but when I did fly, it was pretty packed. But, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I I think, yeah, if there was one place I would want to go, Australia would be up there. Number one would be Japan. I would want to want to go to Japan, but Australia is pretty high up there too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife really wants to go to Italy. That's, that's a big one for her. Oh, dude, that sounds great. That just sounds like delicious food, delicious food. Mm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it takes a lot of money. Takes a lot of money. <laughs> it takes a lot of money. But of course, as always, appreciate you taking time out of your day to download this episode of the podcast. Of course, uh, new episodes come out every Sunday and Wednesday right here uh, on the M Airport YouTube channel. Also, you can check it out on the podcast platforms and radioinfluence.com. 